Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Billy Munger. And I am the Johnny Herbert. Johnny Herbert. Nice one, mate. <laughs> uh, welcome back to uh, Lift the Lid, the podcast that takes you inside Formula One from the unique perspective of two drivers. That's me and Johnny. And some of us are a little bit more recent than others, mate. Oh, are you? Don't worry. Oh, you? you know, dig you out too much. Sneaky <laughs> one. You are right. You're right. In the, <laughs> this episode, you'll join us on the team radio. You get to play the team principal and grill us on our knowledge of Formula One. Bring it on. Let's hope we can answer those questions then, Johnny, as we lift the lid. Fingers crossed. Formula One. I can't quite believe, Johnny. Go on, I've got to say, I've got to pay out there straight from the off. Yeah, go on. How many original members of right. the Johnny Herbert fan club have been in contact with us since our that's last that. team radio episode? That's, that's that. We've had pictures coming through with all the merchandise and. Lots of signed goods. Yeah, so on that. They're very loyal. Very loyal, Billy. Very loyal, mate. Very loyal. Jen sent us something in, and she's been showing off her merch collection on Twitter. There's a lot there. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot. A lot I think there. around Silverstone, we're going to try and get the band back together, Johnny, and and have a little reunion. Well, what do you think of that? I, th- I think it'd be quite fun to see how we've, how we've all changed. <laughs> so, yeah. suppose from that point of view. Listen, there's going to be some new members getting involved as well. I hope so. Have you joined? That's a good point. Have you joined? No, yet? not yet. Not yet. It's too expensive for me, Johnny. You said it was 150k, mate. I'm not making the money. <laughs> I was hoping that, you know, we'd do a few more of these podcasts and I'll get a discount. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll knock about 2% off. There you oh, go. lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So this is the team radio episode. So this is all questions from you at home, the fans. Let's get the first one into the podcast then. This is from Graham and this, and it is. As a driver, does jet lag mess with your head? How do you deal with long-haul travel when approaching a race weekend? In brackets, with Australia coming up. Sure. So, you know, getting one in there pre-Australia, you know, the, the jet lag. You'll have a lot more experience 
with this than me because a lot of my racing was on European circuits, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. But I can talk about, you know, the jet lag in general of traveling with F1. Some, some places similar. hit you harder than others, didn't they? Yeah, they do. Any that stick out for you? Yeah. Japan. That was always, that's always Japan, a okay. Always a killer, that one. I'm always completely confused. It's always four o'clock in the morning, wake up time. Every dub, <laughs> driver, TV work. What's the time difference for Japan? I can't remember now. It's about eight hours, isn't it? Something like that. Is it? A de- so it's a decent chunk then. I think it's something like that, yes. Yeah. So yeah, it, I found that the toughest one. But Australia, of course, being as far away as it is, was it's one of those things they always used to say, I don't know if it's changed, but it always used to they always used to say, But you can to get over jet lag, it's a week. It's a whole week. A seven week. days to get over it, a week. So basically what you're saying is when you go to Australia for an F one race, you never you don't get over it until you're on the flight home anyway. Uh, pretty much, yeah, pretty much so. So I used <laughs> to probably leave on a Saturday, Sunday to get there for like Monday, Tuesday. But a Tuesday was yeah. quite late, to be perfectly honest. So it was always trying to probably get latest on a, on a Monday and then get yourself mm. into that that time zone. But it take it's amazing how long it takes the body to adapt. It's it's all about with 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 the body. I think it's all about the light. So you've got to make sure yeah. that everything is black when you're in your rooms, because when that sun starts to raise, it's sort of then your body sort of wakes up. It's waking up completely at the wrong the wrong time. So the only thing I tried to do was obviously get on the the time zone probably about a couple of days before I got on the flight to just try and get the body into the right zone okay. so before I get there. But it was tough. Really, really tough to do it. Is that where you used to to tell your other half when you were lying in bed, you know, doing all these lay-ins so you can get on the right time zone? Licking the TV. (laughs) Licking the TV. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It didn't go there very well. I have to say, she was always very annoyed. Flicking around and (laughs) doing things and making noises in the house. And of course, my girls, my daughters were quite young at the time. So it was always then, through the house, to disturb anybody <laughs> but then you get on the flight and then you try to do the same thing and then that's that's for it so it's very very hard to try and because you're not you're not there so you're not actually up on that time zone mentally because you're not in that country so it's quite hard to keep on going through when you feel shattered shattered because you're just staying up so late and then but you have to push yourself you have to really Get yourself in that right frame frame of mind yeah. to say, right, I've got to get to that time zone, and that will only benefit you in about five days, five days' time. I'm quite lucky that I can sleep anywhere for as long as as long as possible. Me too. That is a, a good trait of mine in that side of things. So whenever I get on a flight, like whether it's to Australia or Singapore or an Abu Dhabi, I'll just kind of in my head sort of preempt yep. when we're going to land and whether it's. At that time of the day, you want to be awake or whether you want to be ready to go to sleep. And then I'll try and I'll try and do that accordingly. But it doesn't always go to plan. I think your, yeah. your strategy seems a little bit more professional than mine. Because it's so far away. And that's why I mentioned Japan, because you normally try to get on the, on the, you get on the flight sort of in London. And it generally sort of arrives mid-afternoon. You can get a later one that sort of arrives sort of on five o'clock-ish from what I remember. But you try and stay up the whole flight to make sure that when you get there, you are absolutely finished. And and you are finished. But you, you get off the plane, you get in the taxi, you go to the hotel, you get in your room, you try and get to sleep, and you wake up at four o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's still really, really difficult just because the way the brain is. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Yeah, just the way. So I, as I said, that was the most 
the most difficult of the lot. So it's just getting on the time zone. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we cover that one nicely. Uh, what's the next question we got lined up? Right. How the glamour drinking and partying culture of F1 completely gone now? That's from Zoe. And there's a little mention of stories. You got any stories? Yes, I, I, I tried to, I, I tried to ignore that bit. Um, stories. You got to have a good one in there, surely. Whether it's a post-race celebration Sunday night. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it was an end of season nice. celebration, which was in uh, Adelaide, in Adelaide, and it was we were we were always very, very professional uh, as we are <laughs> as F1 drivers. We never really had partying during the season because we all knew how important it was to be completely sort of on top of your game the whole way through it i think that when you go back to james hunt that sort of happened yeah every grand prix and probably every day before that grand prix as well you know james parted very very hard blessing those were the real party days they were uh, for sure i think it was a little bit of a little bit of that in the 80s but i think generally when i was racing there was the last race in adelaide and that was where we'd all all of us i think pretty much all of us yeah. would get together in a, in a particular club just outside the circuit. And we all sort of used would go back to the hotel. We'd all then rush into into the, have something to eat. And then there was a discotheque that was sort of set up as well. And we all mingled, we all chatted, everything else. And the, but the one man who had a certain sort of party way, but he did more or less every time we, we always got together, was you, we'd always get a little bit sort of on that, balance of being drunk no we were drunk yes we were drunk <laughs> yeah was, come on was, mate was michael schumacher you can't be balanced all the time <laughs> in the season we've done our bit everything had come to an end we we'd had a good time and everything else but michael had this had this habit of going up to everybody who was wearing a buttoned shirt and he'd come along he'd do it to himself first actually i think he'd do it to himself so he always used to sort of get his rip all the buttons off his shirt and then he would go to every <laughs> other person and rip all their buttons off their shirts at the same time so everybody was like almost like topless for the rest of the rest of that sort of uh <laughs> evening and stuff like that but it was but you knew it was coming so the button shirts go out of fashion between you drivers pretty quickly then well you, we were stupid enough to always turn up with a button shirt so he always had his fun <laughs> but it was but that but it was all stuff like that that was really good and i remember we had some good i had some good times with Make a hacking and sort of at the same time, but that was always just being childish things, just being silly to each other and spike trying to like spike our own each other's drinks and change the food and the yeah. we'd order they'd order and then we'd order something yeah change that one to fish he doesn't like fish and then you sort of just sort of try and <laughs> muck him up that way that way around but yeah it yeah. was it was there were all different things that, that sort of went on but yeah good fun they were I don't know what what it's like now obviously with the current crop of drivers but that it does seem like that nowadays like you say they're, they're professional athletes so you don't see hardly any of that side of things do yeah, you the whole I, partying and drinking culture no, no, no. i think it's very corporate isn't it billy i think you know that side yeah. that you can't sort of make the sort of the brand of mercedes brand or ferrari brand sort of look look bad at the sponsors because you sort of know you're in, there's, yeah. a, there's a write-up in some sort of magazine or or newspaper saying that you were seen yeah. at a, five o'clock in the morning and everything else but it's for it doesn't sort of do that formula one doesn't sort of do that i think that the party and the drivers do do which is just sort of dinners and sit downs and having a good chat and everything count i think they they have to be planned in the, by by the secret service <laughs> yeah they put to get everything that they can go somewhere 
without any without anybody else knowing. It is exclusive and low profile stuff they do, isn't it? Yes, because again, with all the the, the world of cameras and social media, where I'm never be able to, they don't want that. They just want to have a nice time together. So the Secret Service, the F1 Secret Service, <laughs> is normally able to sort that one out. I've got a quick question for you off Go the on, back man. of that. I, I know you said you're prof- you know you're professional. You, you would never do, you know do anything like that. But what I want to know is what's the latest you've gone to like bed before a Grand Prix, like on a Saturday night. Yeah. You know, is there been a couple of occasions where you've gone, you've had a tough Saturday, and you've gone off. Oh, and next thing you know, you, you know you're out till whatever time. Uh, that was exactly what did happen in Hungary in Lotus, and I think it was '94. I think it was, and the car was very unfortunate. The car was just so uncompetitive, and I was so, so annoyed about the situation. There are worse words I could have used, but I, I do annoyed. And I remember <laughs> going back to the hotel, and I and I didn't genuinely want to drive it on Sunday. Genuinely, I didn't want to do that. So I went back to the hotel. I had, I'm trying to think now. I think I had a bottle and a bottle and a half of red wine myself. Go on. And I didn't go to bed until three o'clock in the morning. And I was still adamant I wasn't going to drive the car in the morning. But being a weak uh, driver as well, I did drive it the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and how was that? And it didn't finish the rest. It didn't, and it really the race. didn't matter how I felt because, okay. because I knew it wasn't it wasn't going to be well competitive. And secondly, reliability was a was a bit of a problem. It was a horrible time. It was one of those times. It's, it was it's a it's a, not a nice memory because it's just you know I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to do the yeah. best I could. But it's been it's been such a frustrating frustrating couple of couple of years that that's where I got really really bad. Mate, sometimes it gets on top of you, yeah. doesn't it? When you're in a rough run of results, and you know. You can't expect to be, you know, happy as Larry all the time. You know, as much as racing drivers love driving, you know, racing cars, if you've got a car, like you said, it's uncompetitive. Yeah. As a, from an athlete point of view, that's got to be, you know, that's some of the hardest times, isn't it? When you know, no matter what you do, you're, you're not going to be in the mix. Yeah. And I, it was the only time I ever did it. And I learned from that. And I did sort of think afterwards, it wasn't, it was silly doing what I, what I did and staying up as late as I did. And, and everything else, and I, ne- I never did it again because I just thought, you know, that's that's yeah. not professional. I've got to do it in a in the manner. I've just got to keep on pushing and never give up because you never never know. So just yeah, it's yeah, it was a bad situation, but I learned from it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So let's move on to our next question. This is from Bjorn. This is: Will we ever see a female driver in Formula One? Can I ask a question? You can ask a question. You know, this is the team radio episode. Yeah, I know it is. Okay. Well, let's be t- a team player, okay? And I can ask one as well. After you've done, this. I've done one. You've done one. I've done. Oh, you've one. done another one. Go on then. You did two of the drops. It's my turn. Yeah. Stop. Stop. Oh, stop right, jumping right. in front of me. Right, female drivers. Sorry, mate. Female drivers. No, not probably joking. I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> female. What? What? What do you think? What do you think? Female drivers. Uh, well, I was lucky enough to work on W Series for the last couple of years, so I've been sort of in and around that paddock and seen what, what they were doing. Obviously, now Formula 1 Academy is, you know, a newly launched series. I think, to be honest, the question is, will we ever see one in Formula 1? And to that, I think the answer is yes. yes. I think eventually yeah. there is going to be someone who's talented enough and, you know, with the push to include females in motorsport, I think there is going to come a day where that that's a possibility and that happens. But it's hard to put 
a timeline on on that at the minute you know you've got a few up and coming drivers but you know it again it's just you've got to find the right person with the right ability the right mindset the right opportunity and i think like i say i my short answer is yeah i think it's going to happen but i'm just not sure when yeah well uh, and i'm the same it will happen you know we 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 need to probably sit i said there are any it's probably unfair, but it's it's the only two that I've gone. Actually, they were they were very good. Michel Mouton, rallying in his second mm-hmm. in the World Championship, really did take it to the best of the best in rallying. Um, and then the other one, Danica Patrick, uh, knew her a little bit when mm-hmm. she was racing over here when she finished third, I think it was, in the Formula Ford Festival at Brands Hatch when Anthony Davidson won, won that weekend. Uh, and yeah. then she did a little bit of racing uh, here in the UK. Then she went back to the States to do IndyCar. And she was competitive in IndyCar. I think she struggled a little bit on the, the street courses because the IndyCars are not power steered and yeah. very, very heavy. And she found that very, very hard. And I suppose now, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think Jamie Chadwick obviously is the best we I've seen in recent times. And it would be interesting to see because yeah. she dominated the W Series. She, literally was sort of untouchable now she's over in the states in the indie lights and yeah so it'd be very now very interesting to see i know she's had all her sort of a younger career karting and all the various formulas uh, that she's done yeah but the that the indie the indie lights would be very interesting to see how she how she can deal with that one and it, it, it will happen mentally no problem whatsoever physically i know and it has been spoken about by some of the girls it is a bit tougher for them Formula One itself yeah. has always got the has got the power steering now, but everything else F two and Formula Three haven't. So that's something that will possibly change. Personally, I always before I got to Formula One, I always thought it should be the the fastest, the most physical, the most mental draining formula that I should ever uh, have, and that was what I expected Formula One yeah. to be. But things have changed. And it will only benefit, I think, a woman getting a chance to drive a Formula, Formula One car eventually. But I think it, they need that the chance from probably the, from karting to really have a proper chance, which is there. But they need to be able to use that and then sort of get all that experience and then carry it through the various formulas. And I suppose at the end of the day, the best of the best will actually get themselves in into a Formula One cockpit. And that doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. Because, you know, the best is always going to be the best. And there's only, you know, the, those, you know, few amounts of seats in a in a, in a a Formula One bubble that are available. Yeah, Formula One is, you know, there's 20 seats out there at the minute, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a, That's it. A select few yeah. in the world that get that opportunity. So it's not easy. It's not going to happen potentially overnight. But no. opportunities are, you know are coming up more often so and it's always, hopefully it's always, we see you know it's always this billy as well see it happen every driver in the on the formula one grid has earned that position yeah yeah you can't take it away from him and that's you know you've got we've got your earn that position so that's 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 where the fight will the fight will be but it is a fight it's a fight for everybody not everybody makes it. I was very fortunate that I that I did get there. Yeah, there are many drivers that should have got there that didn't get there. So there's your twenty, and then the ones that should have but didn't. Yeah, there's, there's probably hundreds of those that have happened over over the maybe thousands. There's a long, long list. There's a long list. I think it will happen, like you, Billy. See you later. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, my turn. <laughs> go on, go on then, go on then. I'll let you have one in there, come on. Would you like to see... The Pone GP and Macau GP added to the FIA Formula 3 calendar. That's from Tom. Okay, sure answer for me on this. Yes, because, yes. you know, I've not driven Macau, but everyone that I know, all my mates that have raced F3 in Macau said it is unbelievable. The circuit's mega. Uh, I was lucky enough to race in Pone and win the Pone Grand Prix, and the street circuit itself is, yeah, again, it's probably one of my favourite circuits. Not only because I did well there, but also just because, you know, you're jumping over huge curbs, roundabouts, you know, in a single seater car, you know, hopping on curbs, you know, in the wet, the, come the dry. Yeah, I, I love a street circuit and I think both of those would add a lot to the FIA free calendar. I think a lot of drivers miss that opportunity. You got any any thoughts on it, mate? Do you race at Poe or Macau yourself? No, Poe I never got to because Poe was Formula 3000 when I was when I was coming up, but I'd been taken off by the same man who actually crashed crashed me at Brands Hatch at uh, where we Vandalunga. And I actually he took me off and I headbutted the Armco. That's <laughs> Jesus. when the, the Bonacock sort of stopped stopped here and yeah. I headbutted the Armco. I still and I still can't remember walking back to the medical centre. Wow. And I do remember and I was told I walked on the bank. I ran across the track, I got on the bank, and I went into the medical centre, and I was doing a sample, and that's the first recognition that I've got from the accident itself. It's still today. So anyway, so I never got to Poe, did Macau in Formula 3, uh, which was mind-blowing. It was absolutely brilliant. It was a bit like the Saudi, but just more narrow. But for speed, yeah, had a lot yeah. of speed, and still has a lot of speed there. So I agree. It'd be lovely to see them both on the FRA calendar because they're both changing circuits in very, very different ways. And it's an, an experience you learn yeah. from. And then you can carry through to when you go to a circuit like how good the Jeddah Cornish because that's exactly what Pogon and Macau are. I always think there's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a weird divide, isn't there, with street circuits because sometimes the fans don't enjoy them on a race day because it can be a bit processional but yeah. as a driver on on a qualifying lap around yeah. the street circuit you can't really come close to that feeling so you know 
finding those circuits where you can get good racing on a Sunday, but also the drivers love it on a Saturday, you know, in qualifying trim. I think, I think between Poe and Macau, if you added them to the calendar, yeah, you'd get a bit of both because you know, in Macau you get some good racing as well. Yeah, it's a good point you say there about sort of some fans don't like it, but I, it's, it's it's a little bit like you go to to uh, to the Jeddah Corniche because I, th- I think there's a wow factor to it, and I say there's a wow factor to it because it's between those walls, but they're doing 340 kilometers an hour. To me, that's wow. You know, that should be what people should be actually admiring as well is you know these guys going that fast between these concrete walls that are around there because it's a massive massive challenge but you're right it doesn't always turn out being a good race it wasn't this year but it, but it was it was a great end to the race last year so again it can it can happen that you do have a fantastic race as you do in Poe and as you do in Macau yeah to be honest yeah I think there we both agree on that one both would like to see them Added onto the calendar to test the young drivers coming up, giving that experience. Yeah. Uh, next question we got is from Danny. Uh, this is all about team orders. Are you an ignore or an obey kind of guy, Johnny? You know, are you happy to get told what to do, or are you like, nah, I'm doing my own thing? Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No. I think there are occasions I might agree to a ready communication where I might be told to sort of move away if I feel I'm not able to really keep pace. I know that's a bit sort of weak. I would yeah. say we should just fight to the end. But there are occasions where I think it's, there are times where you sort of actually do sort of make that happen. Um, but fundamentally, I think you always try and make it work for you. So there is a selfishness that has to come yeah. into play as well, that you'll try and put the pressure on your team to, to make your teammates sort of, you know, move out of the way. And that is, I guess that's part of racing from that point of view, part of modern day racing. Yeah, I, th- I'm, I agree. I think I, I don't, wouldn't like the idea of team orders and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, there is certain context, certain situations where you kind of, you might have to, you know, put your ego to the side and go, okay, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, this is the smarter move, but it's hard to see to see clearly sometimes behind the visor when you're in the cockpit it's like no i'm doing my own thing you know you're putting putting everything on the line and yeah a tricky question that to be honest i think you know there's definitely some drivers on the grid that i think you know you you know that answer before you even ask the question if you're asking on the team radio for them to step aside you kind of already know that max verstappen's going to tell you to Probably stick it where the sun don't shine. No, sure, exactly. But we discussed it a little bit sort of earlier on in our, in our podcast is where we had the situation with uh, Sergio and Max and how it's actually, that was on the other yeah. foot. That's the guy leading. And now there's other dis- discussions yeah. are going on as well. So you've got to try and be ahead of the game as well. Um, and that that's, it's a tough thing because there's everything going on with, when you're in the cockpit, but you've also got to be thinking out, outside the box as well and that's where the capacity of these drivers is 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 unbelievable sometimes okay on a serious note right why do drivers wear their gloves during a seat fit that's from uh, martha during a seat fit i'm trying to think back now you've got me thinking did i used to wear my gloves during a seat fit can't remember off the top of my head to be honest yeah i did my i did my boots Definitely had my boots on, and I think yeah. now and again, I don't know if I did it every time. I think now and again I did it with a with the the gloves on, and I th- I, th- I think I did it because I think it just then made you feel that you're 
your hands, you can see your hands in a, in the view that you see where you're actually going around the circuit. Because when you, your hands are sort of okay. loveless, it's, the view's completely yeah. different. So I, th you I can think see it's just more, a, a, yeah. a visual view that you were actually on the circuit. So it was a more of a visual thing, yeah. A vision thing, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I from memory, I used to sit in like with the gloves on and then, you know, in those sort of foam seats that, you know, the drivers do nowadays, obviously you've got bead seats that you can do yeah. or, or foam seats, which is when you're surrounded by the hot foam. That for me, I used to get so hot and, you know, you tucked in that car for like half an hour that I used to be stripping off layers because every when you do a seat fit sometimes when you have to you know line up the helmet to make sure it's below a certain height and stuff like that you used to have all the helmet and all the kit on and slowly but surely you'd sit in there and bits of kit would come off your helmet would come off hands device would come off gloves would come off so but uh, when you're originally sat in the seat i think i used to be fully kitted up and then yeah it was slowly but surely my kit used to come off during seat fits yeah no sure yeah but i used to hate those expandable foam seat fit things i hated those things because mm. once it was sort yeah. of going off that was it you couldn't sort of yeah you around had to be with the... on it didn't yeah. you yeah and the beady ones they were very clever because it was sort of little polystyrene beads in a bag all mm -hmm. the glue was sort of put into the beads itself and it was all sort of rubbed together and shook together whatever they go then you get in it, and then they sort of take the air out, wouldn't they? But it was clever yeah. because if it wasn't correct, you could then let the air back in. Then you could move around a little bit, take the air back out again, and you could always yeah. constantly fiddle, fiddle with them. Where the expandable foam, sometimes, as you remember, Billy, you sort of you had to push against the steering wheel to push back yeah. against the foam because it was always just expanding, expanding, expanding. So yeah, it was never pushing a, you towards the steering yeah, wheel. Yeah, it was never a perfect seat. Because it was never in the right no, place. No, I prefer so you had bead to, seats. Yeah, and then you had to cut it, didn't you? Rub it, and it was like a bit of art at the end of it. But it was a lot of work. The beads, much more simple. Much more simple. Yeah, 100%, mate, 100%. Right, we've got a, a big question here from Jason. Oh, yeah. And this is, who would win out of Lewis and Max if both were in the same car? I mean, you can have this debate day in, day out. And you can have it across multiple different centuries in Formula One and, you know, decades, you know, different drivers. But have you got any thoughts? I'm going to let you go first on this one, Johnny, mate. I can see you're very looking very keen oh, well, thanks for that. this one. Thanks for that. Well, from my experience of television and through my experience of commenting on those particular two drivers, you, you're never in a win-win situation. Uh, so I'm not going to answer no. it because I know I'm going to upset <laughs> So many people who are Max fans, and so many people who are Lewis fans. <laughs> sitting on the fence. Never, sitting, sitting on the fence. Not, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sit on the fence, Billy. No, that's, that's not my style. Uh, if if we do, we haven't seen the peak of Max Verstappen yet, I think he's just going to get better about it. That is worrying. It is it's very oh, worrying. It's a very worrying thing. Like, <laughs> the last 21 races, I think, and we're saying, oh, we haven't seen his peak <laughs> Exactly. We haven't. Uh, we've seen the peak, I think, of Lewis Hamilton. So I'm going to try and guess where that peak may be with Max. And then we put him in the same car. It's all got to be the same temperature. It's all got to be the same conditions. It's so hard to answer right. this question, isn't it? I, you know, it's, as much as I'd love to be able to give a clear indication and answer, I think it's just a complete 50-50 guess, isn't it, really? If that's how it feels anyway. If, if, I, if I do it purely on what I've seen of the two on, on, on a testing circuit, 
you know, they're both yeah. unbelievable. I always remember I always got wowed by Lewis thinking Canada. Canada was always the place that he always seemed to be really yeah. able to get the best out of the car and the Warner champions on the exit of uh, the final chicane, for example. But the one thing, and I always remember where it, it still sticks in my mind, was last year's uh, possible pole lap, which never ended up being pole lap in, in Jeddah. He was yeah. literally, not millimetre perfect, he was thousandth of a millimetre perfect, nearly at every single corner that, that he came to. Is that you saying Max Verstappen, mate? I'm going to sway Max. They're so, they're so, they're both so bloody good. Both of them. I think it's very yeah. unfair. Uh, a very, it's a very unfair question. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, who asked that one, very unfair. Johnny <laughs> is really going through it here, it's Jason. Horrible. You've got horrible. a lot of distress here. I'm going the other way, Johnny. Good. I, I well done. I can't well go done. against my childhood hero. I can't go against and I get Lewis that. Hamilton. I get that. Yeah, and uh, I've seen special laps from Max. Like you say, uh, don't get me wrong, but also one of the laps that stands out to me <laughs> is um, Singapore. Yeah, I'm going for Lewis. I've seen glimpses of absolute brilliance from him, as I've seen from Max, but going with the Brits, mate. Going with the Brits. I feel sick. <laughs> I think, you know... You're going to have a lot of fans on your case here, Johnny. I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, going, Max, it's a brave decision. I you like got them both. I'll give you some credit for it. I like them it. both. Oh, I'll tell you what. I think that's the most difficult question I've ever had. Yeah, that's up there. It's one of the most difficult questions. That was awful, painful, painful. It's both. It's both. They both wow me. Yeah, they're both brilliant. Tough, but brilliant questions there. Yes. Our listeners know that stuff, that's for sure. We're here every week. I may be leaving, but we're here every week. So we don't get around to your question. Or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, then get in touch at uh, Lift the Lib Pod. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll be back next week when we'll look ahead to the Australian Grand Prix. How's your Aussie accent, mate? How's uh, the Aussie accent, mate? Right, it's it's all right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be uh, Bobby Dazzler. Bobby Dazzler. That's not Australian, is it? <laughs> Listen, I think it's fair to say both our accents are terrible, but we'll be back anyway talking about the Australian Grand Prix. (laughs) Until next time, take care, guys, and thanks for being a part of uh, the Team Radio episode. Keep your questions coming in. We're loving doing them. Don't ask any difficult ones. (laughs) This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Ryan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. Catch you guys next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.